Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. Again? Again, and again, and again, and again. That voice saying again, you should recognize by now, my co-writer, Pat Picciarelli. Hi, everybody. And our millennium. Millennial. <laughs> Millennial. Megan Horan. Hello. Whoa. Whoa. So impressed. Here I was pretty are. close. So, before we get into the topic of the show, we're going to have a new segment in the beginning of the show, just to bring you all current of all the things that are going on in our lives, fortunately. And with that said, let's let the lady speak first. What are you up to, my dear? Here I go. I'm not up to a whole lot that I think anybody here needs to know about her. Or what I want to like to know about. Don't you want to know, Gianni? Oh uh, yeah, I want to know that. I'd rather yeah, know what okay. she's up against and doing. Than no, nothing about me. How about you guys? What's what do we have? What do we have moving? What do we have working? What's going on? Well, funny you should ask. Uh, you know, I spent so many years uh, when I started to write, waiting to sell something. Uh, I had written three books that reside in, in in my closet, even as we speak, that I couldn't sell. Couldn't find an agent. You know, it, it, it's a typical writer's story. You know, you don't just write something you think is good and all of a sudden uh, everything uh, works out. It's a long, hard road. But now I'm in the position where I just completed two proposals and I handed in a novel, but that's that's already completed. But my worst fear now is that these two proposals sell. <laughs> because if they do... Uh, Gianni and I are also working on a secret project, which if you twist my arm, I'll tell you about it. Uh, <laughs> if, if we have to write those books, Gianni and I together, plus the other two, uh, I'm going to uh, probably get on about two or three hours sleep at night. So, uh, but uh, that doesn't, if it sounds like I'm complaining, I'm not, because uh, this is what I asked for and things are all coming together. And once again, it's all, Thanks to the Hollywood Godfather and Gianni Russo. Otherwise, I wouldn't have any of this. Well, that's so, very exciting. Anyway, that's what I'm doing. What are you doing? Well, they, they just asked me to go on a book tour at Mark Seal. With really? that book. That's a great deal, man. You think? Why? <laughs> uh, look, let me think about this for an hour or two. Ah, oh, sell books. Oh, well, here's what I asked him for today. I said, well, listen, my book has been out, our book has been out for two and a half years, and is Simon & Schuster going to pay me to go on these dates? They have to. Well, they're saying, well, we just thought you'd come to promote your book. I said, my book's doing well. <laughs> oh, if that's the case. Now, uh, book tours are brutal. Half the time, you don't even know where you are. I mean, it's like one city after another. And all the uh, publishers do for you is put you up uh, and provide transportation. And they have somebody that meets you and guides you around. Yeah. That's it. There's no money in it. Oh, I know. So that's why I, I basically told them today, this is what I'd like. Yeah. If not, I can't do it. Because fortunately, with uh, our clothing line is up now, La Cosa Mia, 
by Gianni. If you go on the website. Yeah, I saw the website. Very impressive. Oh, you liked it? Good. good, good. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah. So anybody listening, you can go on and buy some Christmas gifts. Um, Corleone Fine Italian is expanding. All our gift boxes go up next week for the holidays. I'm going into a studio this week because I'm so basically annoyed with all the hate in this world. I created a new holiday album called A Time for Giving. And it's all about love and giving of ourselves. And a lot of the lyrics of the songs are that. So you'll be hearing that. And I'm doing it like a young kid on TikTok. <laughs> which, I can't, which I can't believe. <laughs> How does that work? You just put it up. You won't believe what you get on it. These kids are getting million dollar uh, uh, shots at it. And then they buy you, they download your album and you get the, a dollar for it. Oh, so that's how it's going to be released, not the, the, the oh, traditional. Oh, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Oh, by the way, if any of our subscribers uh, are wondering what to get me for Christmas, I favor silk, leather, and Corvettes. <laughs> no. I think Just it's time to get into the show. <laughs> I, I, I'd much rather get into my Corvette, which okay. I'm so, someone's going to buy me. And I'll thank you in advance, whoever that is. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> So okay. you want to bring us up to this topic that someone requests? For- yes. Uh, one of our subscribers uh, requested to get uh, some information about Arnold Rothstein. Uh, it's uh, surprisingly enough, a little known figure. Uh, he's not uh, talked about a lot when it comes to mob history. But uh, I had read uh, a bio uh, on him about three years ago. And I've done some other research. This was a fascinating guy. Uh, you know, in, 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 in anybody's uh, judgment back then, and he was born in 1882, he died in 1928, he was uh, arguably the most influential gangster that ever lived. And to, uh, and to add to that, he was Jewish. And there weren't many, if any, Jewish gangsters back then. You know, you could talk about uh, Maya Lansky. Rothstein was his mentor. I know that. And Costello's mentor. That, yeah, that, I knew and, a lot about Rothstein because of those guys. They talked to him about him all the time. And like you mentioned, the guy was killed, which I can't believe over a gaming debt, but I think they just wanted to get rid of him because this guy had all the money in the world. But I, like, you know, he was known, uh, he had quite a few uh, street names. One of them was The Brain. Right. Uh, and I can see why they also called him uh, the, the Man Uptown. He had, he had a whole bunch of names. He was at, at the peak of his 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 power and wealth when he was in his 30s. Right. I mean, he was thinking of innovative stuff that nobody uh, else ever thought of. He was uh, he fixed. Well, it, this is also uh, uh, arguable that he oh. fixed the 1919 World Series. Right. But they, think about. But I, I you know, it's so funny. I knew so much about this guy. And like you, you mentioned at the top of the show, most people didn't know him. But uh, I mentioned it before to our audience. I did a movie called Lepke with Louis Bookhalter, who was all during that era. And he was a character in the movie. Rothstein? Yeah. yeah. Who played him? Do you remember? 
I don't. It was a small part because now but, I know why he died when he was twenty-eight. <laughs> yeah, he also liked to keep a. He kept a pretty low profile, but he he was the power behind Tammany Hall. Uh, Tammany Hall's power lie in street gangs who 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 Rothstein controlled. Well, and for our audience one, that don't know what Tammany Hall is, Tammany Hall was created in the seventeen hundreds, and basically controlled the Democratic Party. And all the street gangs, like you're saying, was the manpower of the international longshoremen. That's what gave him the strength. I mean, even Costello was part of Tammany Hall later on in life because of this guy. It's amazing what they did there. You know, if you controlled, uh, if you were involved in Tammany Hall, you controlled everything. I mean, literally everything, every industry, uh, every political party. They were extremely powerful. And, uh, you know, to, to, to get to the end of the story, and of course we're going to fill it in, after Rothstein was killed at the age of 46, Tammany Hall fell apart, and the, 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 the history of New York City basically changed because that's when Fiorello LaGuardia rose in power. Right. He became mayor and also arguably the best mayor that New York City ever had. His sole mission was to destroy the gangs and destroy... Uh, organized that, crime. Yeah, that's he, did power. Job, he did a hell of a job doing it. The people loved him. Everybody loved him. And it was all due to Arnold Rothstein's passing. If Rothstein was still alive, uh, it said, and I would agree with it, that uh, Fiorello LaGuardia wouldn't have gotten anywhere because Tammany Hall controlled the city. Yep. Without mm-hmm. Tammany Hall, you got uh, reformers like LaGuardia. Well, that's why when, they, when even Mario Puzo later on wrote the script The Godfather, and he comprised the, the Godfather himself, Don Corleone, out of three characters. And they made Costello the character that controlled the police and the politicians. And that was through Tammany Hall. It, I mean, it's so crazy how that all worked. And, uh, but you, you know, would think, uh, why, why do they want organized crime in the political party? Well, you know, power, strength, but you know, you're talking about the people who were uh, portrayed on film. Rothstein, uh, well, first there was a book, The Great Gatsby, uh, which was, you know, uh, The Great Gatsby is still in print after 70 years, never went out of print. Wow. Uh, he was the character, he was the model for the character Maya Wolfsheim, mm-hmm. uh, who was uh, a KG in police talk, you know, that's a known gambler. Uh, you know, you. Whenever you went into a police precinct, even when I was on the job, until I left the job in uh, 1988, you walked into the back room where the cops turned out for the next tour of duty. There was a an easel on the wall that was covered with a shade. And uh, that was the, the, the KG file. And to know, to, because gambling was the biggest form of organized crime at the time. And it was kept allegedly secret if anybody wanted to uh, anybody wandered into that room, they weren't able to see that flowchart. Uh, but uh, when I was in the fifth precinct, I, I didn't work there, but I lived there when I was a kid. Mm. Rothstein's picture and everything was still up oh, on wow. the wall. And this was in the 50s. And he was still on the KG flowchart. I wonder why that was. Nobody just wanted to well, if, update if, it. <laughs> If you haven't been into the 5th Precinct, that's the oldest police precinct in the NYPD. 
1840, when the NYPD was formed in the, the mid 1840s, uh, the, the, the 5th police precinct was the first precinct in the NYPD. It's still around and it's still the same building. And there's more artifacts in there. I mean, I found uh, blotters. Uh, you have to sign in and out. It's a huge book, about the size of four telephone books. They saved them. I, I found them from the 1850s, the 1860s. They're still there. You mean we like when you sign evidence in and sign out? That yeah, kind of stuff? anybody that passes through a precinct that has any business with the police in that precinct has to go before the desk. You've seen them in the movies. Right. Those of you who don't, you know, can imagine what I'm talking about. The person who's in charge of the uh, of the precinct for that uh, for that tour, in the absence of the commanding officer, who back in that day used to be a captain, is uh, either a lieutenant or a sergeant, had what's known as the desk, and any police business that transpired in that building had to go through that blotter, handwritten. To this day, it's handwritten. Forget computers; it's still written. That's a huge wild. book. And when the book gets filled up, there's about two thousand pages in it. Uh, that gets filed in the archives of the precinct, and there's hundreds of them. And I, as a, as a kid, I was interested in it, and my and my father was always in and out of there, you know, paying everybody off, basically. But anyway, I used to go down into the basement and look through all this stuff, and you'd see all these names: Rothstein, Legs Diamond, you know. And oh, yeah, uh, who, yeah. by the way, worked for Rothstein. He was his enforcer, but that's later on in the story. But anyway, he, he's part of the history of the city. He, without him, uh, what we have and what what organized crime was able to organize, basically in a way of gambling, it was all his doing. But like you pointed out, Maya, he was Maya's mentor. Yeah. Ma Maya picked up right from him and supposedly was schooled by him. And Costello only boasted how smart this guy was. Well, he was a math wizard like Maya. Uh, he kept everything in his head. Right. And uh, he came from, you know, unlike uh, Meyer, who came from poverty and all his all his pals, Bugsy Siegel and uh, uh, Luciano, they were all poor. Rothstein came from upper, upper middle class. I wouldn't call it wealth. His father was a very well-respected businessman, very ethical. And uh, Rothstein, Arnold Rothstein had, had, a, had a, a brother named Harry. And uh, Rothstein's father would always compare Rothstein to Harry, saying, you know, you're on the street, you gamble all the time. This is when he, he was growing up. You should, should be like your brother, Harry. So the point of this story is Rothstein, his entire life, was trying to show his father that he was a success. He had a he had a daddy problem throughout his entire life, his short-lived life. Oh, wow. He was always trying to impress his impress dad. Impress his father, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's surprising. You know, the guy had more power than anybody, but it was only one person whose opinion mattered. And that well, was he, he amassed a lot of money, too. I mean, he, he amassed uh, at the time of his death, one hundred and fifty million dollars, which in today's money is four point three million, I believe. And he that's a big debt, didn't he there by the end? Well, he he pulled a uh, mile Lansky. He dies and the money died with him. Hmm. You know, his uh, brother, 10 years after his death, his brother Harry uh, said uh, when Arnold died, he was uh, insolvent. There is no money. The same thing happened when uh, Maya Lansky died. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's an awful lot just to banish, you know. Uh, but, yeah, no, he, he was extremely uh, uh, 
wealthy. His brother became a rabbi. And I mean, it's like like uh, Al Capone's brother, right? Uh, little known factoid was a was a cop and an honest one, who later became a, a chief of police in a, a suburb of, of Chicago. And he was the black sheep of the family, Al Capone. Nobody ever talked about the brother, you know. I, 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 I didn't. It's first I heard about him. I'm having a brother, and and yeah. being in a police captain. So well, he must have been a younger brother then. Uh, I don't know. All I know is it, it, he had a brother who was a cop, and uh, the the definitive biography of uh, of Capone was written about ten years ago, which I read. I read about four biographies of Capone, but this was the best one. They did a deep dive into his brother, and and how he was ashamed of Alphonse and, and what he did. And, uh, you know, considering that uh, most cops were on the pad back then, and I'm not justifying it, but they were they weren't paid very well, and it was it was a, a, an accepted fact that you took bribes. His his brother was an honest guy, and he wouldn't get involved in any of that. And these these guys made next to nothing. So what what would what was the allure to be a cop if you weren't getting paid? Besides, what was what? Why would you want to become a, a police officer? If you weren't getting well, if you're an honest one, uh, uh, obviously you wanted to do the job. But I mean, you were outnumbered by your own men. Nobody, no, nobody cared about gambling and booze. This was this was during the twenties. Right. This is how the untouchables came into into being. Because these guys were unbribable. Elliot Ness was a real person. Right. He he was a, he was a treasury agent, and uh, you know there there are people who are incorruptible. I'm, I'm reminded of the story. There's a guy named Raboyo. He was a general in the Mexican army. And uh, he was uh, tasked because he was the only honest uh, high-ranking officer in the Mexican army. They tasked him to take down the cartels. And uh, he was he was in Washington constantly. This guy was lionized, the, uh, the, the most uh, courageous, honest cop in, uh, in, uh, in Mexico. Turned out, at the end of his career, they uh, they exposed him as on, on the on, on the pad of the uh, Sinaloa cartel. Two hundred thousand dollars a week he was making. Wow! So you know, it, it embarrassed the hell out of the. So country. that basically just that that's in the past few decades. This guy. Yeah. No, this no. This was the twenty. 25 years ago. I know. Know, I know the Sinaloas. Raboyo. It's a a tremendous embarrassment to to the whole country of Mexico. But getting back to Rothstein, he he was like a a lost soul. And he just he had uh, a great affinity for. uh, For gambling, you know, he he just liked numbers and he started to gamble as 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 a kid and he started to win. But then he figured, well, he could win more if he started to cheat and control it. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the nineteen nineteen World Series, you know, it said that Arnold Rothstein fixed that series. That was never proven. Yeah, it was and never... it's still doubtful yet to today. Yeah. yeah. You know, the two sides of the story, there was a guy named Attell, a uh, Jewish guy, and a guy named Sullivan. So these two guys were instrumental. Attell approaches Rothstein in uh, 1919 to help him fix the series. And Rothstein turned him down. Sullivan approaches him to fix the series, and Rothstein, so the story goes, accepted it. He was playing one against the other, so he couldn't lose. It was like laying off your bets. Right, right. So right. It, 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 if he was caught, he would say, if he was caught through appell, he would say, well, 
you know, he asked me to be involved. I, I wouldn't be involved. And if he was caught with Sullivan, he would just deny it. Uh, but he made a lot of enemies. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, uh, he, he, he winds up still, you know, he was worth so much money, but he loved to gamble. And he was in a, a game in, in uh, the, the, the Park Central Hotel in, in, uh, in New York, a three-day poker game. Well, he, he, but the bottom line, the, the story I got from like Costello, he thought they were cheating him. That's why he wouldn't pay yeah. the debt. Yeah, right. Well, that's that's what he said. Maybe he just lost. You know, uh, the point is he didn't lose. He, he, you know, he had the largest book in the entire city. He was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a day, but he still liked to sit down and gamble. And according to the book I read and other stories, maybe he was cheated. You know, this is folklore. This is this is right. gangster folklore. And maybe he just didn't want to pay it. Maybe he didn't have the money to pay it. Maybe he laid out so much cash that he just didn't have it. Anyway, he played poker for three straight days. And that often, I mean, I've, I've heard of these games that go on forever. I mean, if, if I'm up for 24 hours, and I've, I've done that numerous times, I can't think straight. You can imagine sitting at a table for three days. He loses $350,000, which in today's money was something like 800 grand and he said I, yeah that's I, all I, it is yeah yeah that's all it was well that's you know 350,000 it's still 800,000 dollars you would figure it's, a, only, guy like Arnold, it's a little over double well he would it was either an honest game and he didn't want to pay it because he didn't have the money the cash cash poor everybody owed him or it was genuinely fixed and th therein lies the problem you don't know which is the true story right right so that's yeah, you're right. He got shot in in, in the lobby of a, of a, a hotel, and in true gangster form, he wouldn't identify who did it. And when they told him that he wasn't going to survive, he lasted for quite a few days. He he got an infection when he died. There was no penicillin back then, and he couldn't be treated with antibiotics because there weren't any. Uh, they they told him, uh, and as you usually do with a deathbed confession, uh, you have to inform the person that he's not going to make it. And whatever he says, after he understands that, can be admitted in court. Oh, okay, wow. so that, so so, and to this day, that's the law. So they, they told him, Arnold, you're on the way out. Uh, you know, you could have de denied everything two days ago, but you're not going to last through the night. And he beckons them over, and he says, "My mother did it." <laughs> he died. it you know, you got to admire the guy. <laughs> you know? No, but is that that's something you pointed out just now? That is the law even to today. Yeah, deathbed confessions. I've given them, and it's but and it's admissible but, in court. Yeah, there's a certain way you have to do it though, and it's got to be a witness. You have to inform the person that they're going to die, and usually that shuts them up. But you have to do it, or they get scared, or whatever it is, and they say, "Please save me," and they're not even thinking about confessing at that time. But you have to do it that way. And people who have, you know, uh, a religious background, they can talk. They never did with me a handful of times that I was involved in something like that uh, because they think you're lying to them. You know, no, no one wants to be told they're going to die. You don't believe it. You know, uh, uh, anyway, yeah, it's definitely uh, admissible under the law. It's a deathbed confession in New York State. I can't speak for any, any place else. It's a state law. Hmm. He also fixed uh, horse races. The Travis stakes he fixed. And to, to do this, he had to buy a horse to get into the race. And he won 500000 on that race. 
Now, is that the same Travis they're still having up in Saratoga? Yeah, yeah they still have. Yeah. Wow. It was, uh, at the time, it was in uh, Maryland, I believe. That's what I heard. That, that's a, like one of the biggest races in August upstate, Travis. It's a whole weekend. Then yeah. Sunday's the big race. Yeah, well, you know, I guess you get to be uh, at the point in life he was. You don't think anything could happen to you. I mean, uh, the, he paid everybody. All the grand jury records from the World Series investigation got lost. All the witness testimony. Now, a lot of these players admitted that they were involved in a fix. But mm. when they heard that the grand jury records were lost, they decided that they weren't going to testify. They got amnesia. <laughs> yeah. Let what? me ask this about this World Series fix. Why was that investigated in the first place? Was it just really obvious that they had had well, the big money? Or, that's, well, sports, first of all, you can't do. I mean, that that's you know any sport game if it's fixed, what then you what what you know what are you going to hold true? I mean, people you know, betting the on the point that every is day. somebody once told me if you're going to be a successful criminal, you act alone. So here you here you are bribing an entire baseball team. And there's bookies involved, and obviously the players are involved. You know, these guys back then, have you ever seen a picture of Babe Ruth when he played? I'm surprised he was able to walk up a flight of stairs. Oh, I, I mean, know. Guys, he was so overweight. They loved to drink and party. You ever see him running around bases? My grandmother could, could move faster than him. I mean, you know. But these, he didn't these, need to because he hit a home run. He could take his time for hit the bases. He could try. <laughs> but, you know, these guys back then, you know, they were hard-partying people, smoking, drinking, womanizing. They talked, and and eventually, uh, you know, the the legal establishment got wind of it, and that's how the whole thing started. But once they heard that the grand jury records were gone, they said, "What? What fix? What World Series? I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah. Well, everything died. No, but they, I mean, we always hear about fights. You know, a fight, a throne, a, a fight for money because he needed money and all that. But like you said, a whole baseball team. <laughs> you, you can't. I mean. It, What's you know, the best way to, to to keep a secret is to kill the other guy. Hello. You know? <laughs> it's, it's the only way you're going to keep the secret. I mean, there is no such thing. Uh, people like to talk. P particularly, they like to talk when they're, they, they're making money. Right. And uh, Rothstein had very deep pockets. Well, obviously, it sounded like it. But, you he know, would, what, what's, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here what, wondering why, who, recommend, who requested this about Rothstein? That's... How old is this person? Why would he want to know? You know, people, I imagine that the, a lot of the listeners that are invested in this show that we have are uh, uh, mob historians, amateur mob historians. They want to know this stuff. Yeah. And that there's not much written about this guy. And uh, uh, it's they just want to know. I mean, he was... Uh, uh, the, the game, you know, these characters, they're, they're, they're like out of a Damon Runyon screenplay. You know, I mean, it's, these, are, these are Broadway gamblers. The guy who uh, uh, was in the uh, uh, poker game that allegedly, that, that Honor Rusty was in, allegedly fixed it, his name was Titanic Thompson. I'm sure he wasn't christened with that name. You know, I mean, these were, these were real characters. And if you well, ever yeah, seen right, any, nicknames are always everything. But I even remember in the script, there was a character, Arnold Rothstein. Yeah. And like uh, Hyman Roth, all those other guys. There was an, um, 
Abe Rullis. I remember all these names. They were all, that's how they created Murder Incorporated. Yeah, Abe Rullis uh, was played by Peter Falk in the movie Murder Incorporated. And that, that made him famous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were all Jewish gangsters. Oh, the yep. Jewish gangsters were, they were smart. The Jews used to use the Italians for brawn, that's all. Yeah, well, Abe Rellis was was particularly, uh, uh, he was, he was he was a psycho. He would like to stab people, uh, you know. And that's that's up close and personal, you know. Oh yeah. But also, he had a photographic memory. However, that when he flipped, uh, he was talking for weeks, and he didn't say the same thing twice. He was in a. They, they put him up in a in a safe house. They didn't use the term back then. It was a hotel in Coney Island called the Half Moon Hotel. They threw him out the window, didn't they? Well, well, that's uh, a matter for debate. I mean, uh, they said he tried to escape, so this is how they followed that up. He tied his—he was on a sixth floor. He tied his bed sheets together, yeah, which I... went down, which went down two floors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're, you're hanging from the fourth floor window ledge. What are you going to do? Jump? Yeah. So I mean, they, they just put this together hastily. There's a lot of uh, proof and underworld gossip that said the cops who were guarding him tossed him. Uh, he wasn't anywhere near the window. If you're going to jump, you're going to commit suicide. You, you, you know, you sit on a, on a, on a, on a window, so you don't take a running leap. In other words, your body is next to the building. Right. It was quite a distance away. Oh, I see. Well, I remember that. That that was definitely a scene in, in the movie Lepke. Oh, yeah? I, yeah, I forgot. I missed mean, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I mean, that, that movie taught me a lot. And then, you know, and I, I knew a lot early on just by sitting with Costello and, and Maya. They talked about these guys like they, that. I'm here, I am in a movie playing a character like uh, a Tony Anastasia. I mean, Tony Anastasia was my, his brother was Albert. And that's who I played was Albert when they created Murder Incorporated. Well, there's so, there's so much folklore. Uh... Uh, around uh, uh, Rothstein, the latest uh, or the the well the, the the latest conspiracy theory. There was a, a book written called "Kill the Dutchman." It was a biography of Dutch Schultz. Mm-hmm. It was really Arthur Flegenheimer. No wonder he changed it. Anyway, this was published in 1971, and uh, this author says, after a vast amount of research, uh, his name was Paul Sahn, that uh, Schultz had Rothstein killed. He says this was uh, in, in retaliation for the murder of Schultz's friend and associate, a guy by the name of Joey No, NOE, by Rothstein's uh, protege, Jack Legs Diamond, who was a psychopath. Yeah. Uh, you ever see these old gangster movies where these uh, uh, the mobsters are machine gunned in a phone booth? Well, mm-hmm. Legs Diamond was the first guy to get killed in a phone booth. That's his claim to fame. He was machine gunned in a phone booth. And he had a long history of many hits, many kills, c- cutting bodies up. He died when he was like 26. Well, I mean, now, you know, all those, you know, that's another thing our audience don't realize. Most of these guys never lived past 40 during, it, that stuff, they, during those years. I know, but they came to their peak at such an early age. I know. Al Capone was running Chicago in his 20s. Yeah. I mean, you see, see all, these, uh, all these movies. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro played him in, in The Untouchables. And that, that was what everybody thought uh, Capone looked like. The guy in his... In, in his 50s, overweight with the scar. Uh, Jason Robards played him in uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Robards was in the 60s at the time. 
Uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, when that occurred in 1928, Capone was 29 years old. Wow. Most powerful gangster in the United States. So that's all these guys uh, started started early because that's what you did. You didn't graduate high school, maybe do a couple of years of college, decide you want to be a gangster. They started when they were kids. Uh, Tony Accardo and, and Yale Cohen were their bodyguards. And they were like in their late teens. I couldn't, I couldn't do the math. When I was I was around Accardo for the last years of his life. And uh, he used to tell us stories, but we'd try to calculate, well, how, how old are you? But they were in their teens when they were their bodyguards. Well, you know, the, the last of these guys, uh, of the old school uh, uh, gamblers slash gangsters, guy by the name of Frank Erickson, who was around... I believe when I was a cop and he was still taking book, working the streets. He was an old man. He was, he, he was a genuinely old man when, when he died. Wow. Frank Erickson was a, a friend of Rothstein. So if, if Rothstein died in 1920, whatever, he was around then and he lasted until the seventies. I never even heard of this guy. And you, you Frank still, Erickson? Yeah. Oh, big, uh, big, big gambler. West side guy. Uh, it was said he was instrumental in starting the Westies. But there was another guy named uh, Vicky Spillane, not to be confused with the writer, who was also a gambler and a hoodlum who, who helped start the Westies. But Erickson was extremely powerful. That's wild. Like Rothstein. Megan, what do you got to say about all this, my darling? What do I have to say? <laughs> um, well, I could ask you something if you want. So Please. you mentioned how Frank Costello and Meyer Lansky had mentioned you know, things to you about um, Rothstein, who was obviously their mentor. Did they tell you anything that wasn't in our research or what would be on the internet? Any any interesting things no, about they, him? No, what they, what they basically said, what a genius he was, and Maya basically mimicked him or became who he was. I mean, you just don't become a, a mathematician or a, a, an, inter, an intellect of math. I mean, he's had, they had such recollection. They never wrote anything down. No, that's, you know, people say, well, I, these guys never wrote anything down. They really never wrote anything down. Nothing. They never wrote anything down. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was trying to get that, you know. He, he was teaching me just out of recall how you do that because it's better not to get caught with an envelope or messages in it. And that's all I was doing. Well, that's okay for a street bookie. But, I mean, these guys, uh, Rothstein, even just before his death, he was the most powerful gangster in New York, if not the entire country, he was still taking bets on the street. And he was still paying them off himself on the street. Wow. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He loved the gamble, and he just loved the he life. He just loved the action, that's it. Yeah. Well, he, he, I guess he got it in the end. He, he died like a gangster. His mother did it. <laughs> that, that's a direct quote. If he can you know, take that. He's funny. All, All right. right. I don't know if we have that much about? to say on this guy. Mr. Arnold well, Rothstein? Well, not too much is known about R.I.P. Uh, Arnold Rothstein. I mean, that's uh, led a hell of a life. Well, whoever this gentleman is, he he sparked a, an interest for us to do it. I hope well, he yeah, answered I, his questions or her. Yeah, he's a very interesting character for sure. I, I forgot who, uh, who asked the question, but uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody... Uh, Got some insight into Arnold Rothstein out of this, what we know about him. 
All right, well, let's take a break, make some money, come back and do the mailbag. Mailbag. We'll be right back with the mailbag. <laughs> Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneBuyingItalian.com that's CorleoneBuyingItalian.com. All right, we're back. Okay, let's get into it. First message is from Gary. Gary says, hi, Gianni. Gary here from Watford, UK. First of all, love the show and listen over and over again at night to the podcast. Two things I'd like to know. One, when you mention Frank Costello, you nearly always call him Costello and not Frank. Is that an American thing? Respect no, I, that's what I, it's a respect thing. <laughs> I was a Mr. C or Mr. Costello is what I called it. I don't call him Frank. <laughs> I do know, um, I mean, it could just be a very small scope of the entire place, but I think it's um, pretty normal in European countries to address people by their first names, even elders and, you know, other people. Oh, really? Oh, really? So I think that I, I remember when, you know, my boyfriend's from Germany and he wasn't really quite sure what to call my parents because they call everyone by their first name. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. So that may be an American thing, actually. Well, also. you know what? The only thing I could think as, as a, they would ask you once they liked you, call me by my first name. Right. Not usually by that's how it goes, and that's exactly. what makes you feel like now you're part of the family. So that that I don't think it's about respect. I think it's about letting them know that they are welcome. Oh, uh, before I forget, after the mailbag, uh, I've got an update on the Alec Baldwin case. Ooh, oh, really? Okay. Uh, did okay. you read today's interview with uh, uh, George Clooney? No. Uh, okay, after the mailbag. Oh yeah, please. All right, we'll leave. We'll leave some time. So, second question. I hope it's not rude to ask. After Mr. Costello got died, what happened to all his millions and millions of dollars that he acquired? Arnold Rothstein got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny that we were just talking about that. Most of these guys, all you hear about is how much money they amassed. But where did it go when they're dead? It's all of them. None of them. Well, his wife, his wife survived him for many years, right? Oh, yeah. But I, I mean... Who knows what she had that nobody said she got all his money. It's, you know, they, they didn't live the... Had to live on something. She never worked. I mean, oh, I know. But I'm just saying, but nobody went after it like they do now with the Rico and all of that. Oh, they, 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 they take everything. Yeah. So it's a different time. They let it go. Hmm. Okay. Next is from Jeannie, one of our top fans. She says, hello, everyone. Megan, it's so nice to hear your beautiful voice back with the guys. Thank you. Gianni, I heard a podcast about Ben Novak Jr. It talked about Flaunton Blue and Sinatra. So I'm guessing you would have some stories. Are there any you'd like to share? Well, I mean, the kid was a character. I mean, I mean, he, he called me recently. Oh, the grandson, actually. 
because she still owns the property, the Nationale. <laughs> it's so crazy that because everything was in his name because Maya owned the Farm Blue, basically. <laughs> and Ben Novak was the front. And uh, but he had a stepson nobody knows about. Are they, they talking are they talking about the stepson called Boo? Megan, what, what did they say? His son, Ben she Novak? He heard a podcast about Ben Novak Jr. But wasn't he found dead in a hotel room in New York City with his girlfriend? Junior? Yep. Let me take a quick Watch look. that one come up. Let me take a quick look. Murders of Bernice and Ben Novak Jr. Okay. Um, let me see. Bernice Novak and her son were murdered three months apart. Hello. What year? How, how about that? <laughs> how did I know that one? <laughs> uh, I'm afraid to ask. What year, Megan? This is on Google. Um, let me see. Ben died in Okay, so we'll put that a couple and of years. And 2009. Yeah. 2009 oh. and 1985. But killed, yeah, both of them. They were killed. Well, they, they pissed somebody off. In New York City. <laughs> Not Florida. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting okay. case. Next. Okay. Let me see. I'm sure I'll get mail on that one, how I knew that. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knew about that. <laughs> Listen, you read it somewhere. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On a note. <laughs> the rest of Jeannie's message says, Pat, after listening to episode 142 about Squiante, the garbage king, oh, and all lady friends, I had to see what kind of fuss it was about. He was a handsome fella. Oh, well, yeah. He was, he was a ladies' man. Yeah. I guess if you have a lot of money, you can be four foot eleven. Who cares, right? Yeah. Okay. I think we have time for a couple more. Yeah, yeah, we want to save it. I want to hear about this Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I'll, let me do let me do one more. Okay. So this one is from John. John says, I grew up in Little Italy in the 60s. Patrick mentioned that his father owned a restaurant called the Red Rose on the corner of Bayard and Elizabeth Streets. Yes, sir. I recall a local mobbed up guy known as Johnny Dogs owning oh. it. Is this the same place? Wow, well, that's the history. When my father died, Johnny Dogs was a nasty human being. I was 14. And the reason I, I, I had a I had a run-in with him, uh, he bought the place. He was a made guy, but he was always a low-level guy and a really nasty son of a bitch. I hated this guy. And every time I went down there, I would go down there once a month to pick up cash for my mother. And I'd always have something wise to say, you know, a smart mouth 14-year-old. He smacked me in the head, knocked me down. Hello. Yeah, he said, uh, I, I w went there with a, with a friend of mine. We, we took a train down and I walked in. There. I must have said something to, to piss him off. So he said to me, at least the, you know, he didn't hit me in front of everybody. He said, Come here, I want to talk to you. So I go in the back where the kitchen is, away from everybody. Out of nowhere, he turns around and he hit me right in the face. I went right down. Wow. I'm surprised you're living. You piss a guy like that off. That's the only reason I, pro I probably let me live. I mean, who has a 14-year-old kid? I mean, you know. Johnny Dogs. And, yeah, so the, so the answer to the question is, yeah, uh, Johnny Dogs owned it. I don't know what his real name was, his last name. 
Oh, that was his street name. Uh, he he died, and the place was sold to a to a Chinese family, and it's now a Chinese restaurant. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, well, let's wrap up the mailbag, and we can move on to what happened. Yeah, let's hear what you heard. Mess up to date on. Today's New York Post, a big story about uh, George Clooney being interviewed live. Uh, and somebody asked him, the interviewer asked him about uh, the uh, uh, the Alley Baldwin incident. And he went off on Baldwin. He wouldn't stop infuriating. Wow. I mean, he went, he says, listen to me. He said, I've been in this business for 40 years. This is Clooney talking. Right. He said, never, ever did anybody hand me a gun that that or any other actor that he knows that they didn't look into exactly. you always open it up and look into it he said and another thing while he was on it he just went nuts he said i've never heard any term uh that was that was used called a cold gun did you gianni Nope. no they just made that up he said this this production was so slapdash and and underfunded uh, he said, there's no such thing as, as, as a cold gun. He said, I'll tell you what I used to do. And he, he went through it step by step. Somebody hands me a gun. It was a, a semi-automatic. He makes sure that the, the, the magazine was dropped. The slide was drawn to the rear. And he showed it to everybody who was in the scene before they did the scene. Exactly. And if it was, a, if it was a, a revolver, they opened up the cylinder. He looked in it, showed it to everybody, closed it up. They did the scene. The person who last holds a gun is responsible for whatever happens next. No, and we, and you know, we touched on it lightly, not in specifics. Obviously, George Clooney's going to have a bigger stage when he says something. But we oh, said yeah. that because I mean, I've, I I've been in so many movies, especially gangster movies, when the prop master, who's the head of firearms, comes on, he 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 walks you through it. The yeah, protocol, yeah. 24-year-old kid who's just a second job with firearms. You know, uh, somebody said, and I, I would uh, I would like to have, uh, have thought of this myself. If if Alec Baldwin is saying that he did the wrong thing and this is an accident, what happens if he was rehearsing a scene where he had to use that gun to commit suicide? Don't you think he would have looked into it? He would have opened up that cylinder and checked yeah, it out? That's a, a good very point. good, very good statement. You, that's your ass he would have done it. Yeah. He wouldn't have pointed it to his head. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what the... Uh, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee's son did. Yep, exactly. Uh, when he was killed in 1983, it, it was it was a suicide scene. He pointed it to his head and shot, killed himself. But it wasn't it, a lot found. It was a hot blank. It was a hot and blank. It was too loaded. That's what. Yeah, it was. It, it, and he had it, it in his it, temple. How stupid. Yeah, that which is a very soft spot on right. his skull, and the wadding went into his into his skull and, and killed him. But that was a, a whoever uh, came up with that is absolutely true. You got to put a gun to your head without looking into it. Never. So the point here is, and what I was saying, and I think Johnny, uh, Megan, you agreed, uh, he's in he's in criminal trouble here. I hope there's, I hope there's somebody no excuse, is. Why not? There's no excuse for this. It's his the person who holds the gun. It's their responsibility to make sure it's safe. It's always loaded. The gun is always loaded. I mean, you, you're you're taught that whether it's empty or not, it's loaded. And you have to take the safety precautions. Yeah, yeah, and that's the best way to handle a gun, to make sure yeah, that it's alive. It's not a toy. I was just surprised that uh, Alec Baldwin being another, uh, brother George Clooney being another actor, would go off like that. Because he went on. He didn't shut up. This whole, the whole column was, he kept coming back to it. 
Well, he, why, just, you know why? Because he's such a professional, and he just don't yeah. want. He's making yeah. everybody else look bad, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, but people keep their mouth shut. You know, uh, he didn't, and I, I, I'm, I'm no George Clooney. Maybe, maybe you don't like Alec Baldwin. <laughs> well, he doesn't. Apparently not. But uh, that's like you he, asking me if Jimmy Khan shot somebody. I'd, I'd, I'd bury him too. <laughs> he, he went out on a limb, and I admire him for that. Good, good. Because he'll be asked about it. Trust me. Next time he gets interviewed. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah. Well, another show. It's over already. Yeah, we're yeah, done. We can wrap it up. That was uh, right that now. was a horrible question. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, you know what we need you to do: tell your friends, write reviews, and thank you for tuning in. Be safe. God bless you all. Good night, Good night everybody. Good night, everyone. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.